Good afternoon, all you podcast followers, and welcome to another Blaney's podcast. And we have the pleasure of having uh, Jason Mangano here in our beautiful podcast studio. And Jason is a coverage lawyer at Blaney McMurtry. And we'll be talking about a topic, a hot topic, and in coverage law, uh, dealing with additional insured coverage. Uh, Jason, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lou. Jason, what is additional insured coverage? Well, uh, put simply, additional insured coverage is a form of coverage that is typically issued to the vendors or suppliers of a named insured to a policy of insurance. So, put briefly, underwriters at insurance companies know they're named insured. They collect information about this insured. They, based on that information, charge a premium for that insured. But the additional insured achieves coverage through its relationship with the named insured. So the additional insured does not pay a premium for the coverage that they obtain and achieve status uh, by being added to the policy, uh, whether it be by way of endorsement or certificate issued by the broker. So Jason, if the insurance company isn't being paid a premium by the additional insured, why are they even doing this? It's a really great question, Lou. Ultimately, it's a business reality. The insurance company uh, is issuing policies to companies that have undertaken in their own business operations obligations to have others added to their insurance policies. So could you give us a couple of examples when that would occur? Well, I suppose one of the more straightforward examples happens in the context of commercial general liability insurance. This is the kind of insurance that typically responds to companies in respective slip and falls and such. And imagine uh, an occupier, uh, that's a legal term, I suppose, for the owner of property, subcontracting the maintenance of that property uh, to others. They've delegated duties to those subcontractors, uh, specifically, let's use the example of snow maintenance. There's a landlord that has retained a subcontractor to clean up snow over the winter. The landlord knows that if there's going to be a slip and fall in the lot, that they're likely going to be sued regardless of whose fault that slip and fall can be attributed to. If their snow maintenance contractor makes a mistake, they will be sued despite the fact that they delegated that obligation to the snow maintenance contractor. So in the commercial agreement between that snow maintenance contractor and that landlord, there will likely be something called an insurance procurement clause, which requires that contractor, as a condition of their being retained, to add the landlord to their policy of insurance as an additional insured. Now, when an additional insured is in fact named or provided coverage, um, is this coverage absolute or is it qualified? Another great question, Lou. The notion that the term additional insured means something at law is false. The additional insured is entitled to the coverages that the policy says the additional insured is entitled to. In other words, if the additional insured is meant to be added to a policy for its vicarious liability only, the policy better say that because there are good arguments to be made that in the absence of an express qualification for the coverage being afforded to the additional insured, that that additional insured has as much coverage 
as the named insured. These are all issues that have been litigated in the United States and not as much in Canada. However, it would be prudent practice for an underwriter to qualify and express exactly the scope of coverage that it intends to provide to these additional insureds who generally do not pay a premium for the coverage they're afforded. One of the other issues we know in insurance law and coverage is the duty to defend. How do we see an interaction between the insurer's duty to defend to a uh, additional or uh, additionally named uh, insured? The scope of the duty to defend an additional insured is changing case by case. There have been several cases in the last several years that have addressed the issue of to what extent must a carrier pick up an, insu- uh, an additional insured's defense costs. And probably the most relevant case at this time is undoubtedly the Carnero decision, which came out uh, December of 2015. Uh, that decision clarified and arguably runs contrary uh, to earlier decisions which allowed insurers to allocate costs that are covered and not covered in respect of the defense obligation. The Carniero decision puts us uh, in a scenario where it's less likely an insurer will be in a position to negotiate part funding of an additional insured's costs. Jason, prior to the Carniero decision, what was the law in Canada dealing with the obligation of the insured to pay the costs of the additional insured? Well, certainly in Ontario, uh, there were two lines of authority. In the case of a mixed claim, and by that I mean a pleading that comes in that alleges things that might be inside cover and allegations that fall outside of cover, courts took either one of two approaches. Uh, The first approach started in a case called Rio Can, and the court in that case held that although there might have been some allegations that fell outside of cover, because the true nature and substance of the allegations triggered the additional insured coverage, that in that case, the additional insured was entitled to 100% of his defense costs, of its defense costs from the insurer. The Atlific case, however, divided the allegations in a manner which allowed the court to order a part contribution towards the cost of the defending the additional insured. So in short, you had one line of authority that was ordering that because the true nature and substance of the claim triggered the policy, that 100% of the defense costs were awarded in favor of the additional insured, the second line of authority permitted an apportionment of those defense costs in a manner that reflected part of the claim triggered the coverage and the other part did not. So then what would be the consequence of the Carniero decision in respect of how matters are handled in the future? Well, Carniero takes the approach that the defense obligation owed to the additional insured is an entirely separate coverage than the coverage afforded to the additional insured with respect to indemnity. So focusing on that, the court noted that in a case that alleged both claims in and out of cover, that the insurer had an obligation to defend 100% of the defense costs incurred to defend the additional insured, but left the door open for a recoupment of those costs that can clearly be attributable to uncovered allegations 
at the conclusion of the litigation. What's interesting is that in Carniero, the court ordered that the additional insured was entitled to its own independent counsel. And therefore, the result of Carniero in that case is the insurer had an obligation to pay for 100% of the defense costs of its own named insured, obviously, but also 100% of the defense costs of the municipality which the named insured had cross-claimed against. So hold it, Jason. What I'm getting from this is that it's possible for one insurer to fund the defense costs of two parties who are, in fact, suing one another. That's correct, Lou. Uh, I think uh, that's exactly what happened as a result of Carniero. Ultimately, what the court noted was that the defense obligation that the insurer owed to the municipality in that case, Durham, was unqualified. The defense obligation didn't say, for instance, it will only pay for certain portions of the additional insured's defense. And if you take a look at the Supreme Court of Canada's view of how you determine whether a defense obligation is owed, all that's needed is a single pleading where there is a mere possibility that there could be indemnity owed at the conclusion of trial. So despite the fact that a pleading might have several uncovered allegations, it's that mere possibility that there might be one that does trigger indemnity that creates a defense obligation in most cases. So that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that principle at play here. We're seeing an additional insured being entitled to a complete defense because the policy doesn't provide or qualify the defense obligation in respect of mixed claims, and that there was this mere possibility that the additional insured could have indemnity under that named insured's policy. So clearly this is something that the insurance companies have to address in the future. And I think we're seeing that now, Lou, because insurance companies are on both sides of this equation. They're benefiting, some companies are benefiting, and some companies are picking up more than they had expected. So what the Carniero decision does is it gives rise to several issues. It gives rise to certain conflict of interest issues in cases where there's an interest in assuming the defense of the additional insured, but also wanting to reserve rights. It also creates issues with respect to having to fund multiple counsel, counsel who have clients who are adverse to one another in the same proceeding. Then there's this issue of allocating defense costs at the conclusion of trial. Does there need to be a trial before that allocation can happen? Also, there are a whole host of issues with respect to the named insured's insurer's right to claim contribution directly from the additional insured's primary carrier. What exactly do you mean by contribution? Well, Lou, that's a, that's a concept that exists. It's a right of action as between two insurers that cover the same risk. So in a case, uh, well, it's, it's much more technical than just this, but in a nutshell, in a case where you have two overlapping policies covering the same risk, just because one insurer has an obligation to cover that risk doesn't absolve another insurer who has the same obligation from its coverage obligations. So where this comes to play in the context of additional insured coverage issues is there will need to be an analysis of the two policies that potentially respond to the benefit of the common insured. And in the course of analyzing those policies, other insurance clauses become relevant 
because those other insurance clauses speak to the intended priority of the one policy over the other in circumstances where there is indeed overlapping coverage. And these issues of other insurance and contribution weren't raised before nor addressed by the Court of Appeal in the Carniero decision. So Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Court of Appeal actually didn't deal whether Durham's own insurer had any obligation to contribute to Durham's defense costs. That's right, Lou. That issue didn't seem to be uh, put before the court. So just because one insurer has an obligation to defend doesn't necessarily mean that another insurer does not. And that deals with an issue of overlapping coverage. And the issue that uh, that gives rise to is something called equitable contribution as between insurers. And that is very much still a live issue in the context of additional insured coverage, whether the one insurer covering the additional insured has a right against the primary policy that was issued to that additional insured. That will come down to complicated issues involving other insurance clauses uh, and, again, the principles of equitable contribution. So I presume we'll be seeing some more litigation on this issue in the future. I think it's a safe bet to assume that we're going to see much more litigation in the area of additional insured coverage. I think uh, issues of contribution, other insurance, limitation periods, application of deductibles, how the additional insured coverage impacts cases where perringers are being entered into. Uh, for instance, what happens if a case has been discontinued against a named insured? Is that insurer still on the hook for the additional insured's costs? What is the notice period applicable to an additional insured in claiming coverage? All of these issues still need to be flushed out. And I should add that we'll probably start to see different language uh, in insurance policies dealing specifically with the scope of the defense obligation owed to additional insureds. So not only will we see an evolution of the case law, but we will also likely see an evolution of the applicable policy wordings in these cases. So, Jason, it looks like there's a lot more to come in this topic, and uh, we should keep our eye and ears tuned uh, to uh, what's going to go on. And uh, presumably, you'll be around and available if anybody has any questions or issues that they want to raise with you. And if they do, where can they reach you? Well, Lou, I'm available by phone here at Blaney McMurtry. I'm a partner in the coverage group. My phone number is 416-596-2896. Also by email, j-m-a-n-g-a-n-o at blaney.com. And finally, and embarrassingly perhaps, I do tweet on coverage topics now and then at Jason Mangano. Thank you, Jason. 